Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to uh, remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Terrific. Thanks, Andy. That's good. Um, as always, you can you can sign up for the podcast and subscribe to the newsletter. There's a there's a sale for Free Agent Frenzy, twenty uh, percent off. I think until next until until Thursday. Uh, let's see, recent podcasts that you might want to check out. We did the 2011 Cubs last week, which was um, a terrible team and a fun podcast. There's also a uh, there's a double interview podcast with uh, Kevin Kadick and John Greenberg, where Kevin and I talk about Chuggo, and John and I talk about all kinds of stuff. And then uh, there's a new baseball podcast with Dave Brown from Bally Sports, and I have managed to sucker Dave in to... Uh, joining the the baseball podcast on a regular basis, sucker. And Kyle Reichert is going to do. He's a busy. He's apparently a busy boy. Kyle yeah. is. Yes. So he's going to do it occasionally. Well, you know, you know, whenever whenever he doesn't have a date, I guess. Right. When you're he's what? A handsome. He's a handsome boy, so he's probably not going to be around much. When you're in your what? Tw- he's still in his twenties, right? Kyle's a young kid. Oh yeah, when he's young. Living somewhere vaguely east of Ashland and, uh, you know, whatever, north of uh, Armitage and west of the lake and whatnot. Uh, who knows what your schedule is going to take you. So so you can check all those out, and uh, that's about it. All right. So uh, it's time to spin the wheel of crap and see what year and, we end up with. Yeah, and ju- ju- just to preface it, in case anybody's just stumbled in here, um, we've done 15 – seasons between 1980 and uh, 2012, our, our predefined set. And, you know, some people might accuse us of, of rigging it for whatever reason God only knows that would be, but uh, in some sort of a, a mystifying sort of a occurrence that in 15 spins in 32 seasons, only one of the 10 years of the 1980s uh, has ever been pulled. And even that was just barely in the 80s. And it was a fun season. It was 1989. And it's just a peculiar twist of fate that uh, we have so much, uh, I guess, material to unearth that just hasn't, it's been distributed very heavily towards uh, 
you know, the, the mediocrity by design, this tribute, the tribute ownership of the 1990s basically have just been scorched. And we've even done quite a bit of the aughts and we've even done a Ricketts owned season, but we haven't done a, you know, a Wrigley owned season, uh, which, you know, they're both part of this collection. So, you know, we, and we've brought it up before. And I think the more we bring it up, the less likely it's going to happen, but at some point we're going to get to them. And, and if I were a betting man, uh, Andy, and if our sponsor of course did have, a line on this, I would definitely uh, throw something down on uh, a, a year in which the third number uh, was eight. Third number was eight. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Looking at the spin slow, the wheel slowly spinning by. You know, there's so many eighties, all but one, and there's a lot of aughts. Those are overwhelming. Yeah. The nineties are almost gone. Just yeah. two, three, you, two left. I believe two. Yeah. Three. If you're a big 90, 93, 95. 90. Yeah, we haven't done 90 also. Good point. Yeah, that's a forgettable one. Heaven forbid if it falls on that. And it probably will because, again, probably jinxed it. Oh, you bring up a good point. I will, I'll dump the ad in here as a bonus to my to our great sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, but they're running a Careful. thing through and they're running a, a special because Illinois reopened uh, online signups last week or two weeks ago now. Meaning what? That you don't have to go to a casino right. to uh, long as create an account? You just download the app on your phone, and your little GPS will tell them that, yes, they're actually in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And then you can just sign up. Um, and if you use the promo code POINTLESS, place a $5 bet, and you get $200 worth of bets. Look at that. twenty. Yeah. Tw- you get You get a 20 times return. Is that right? Did I do the math right? Whatever. That's a no-brainer for me. That's a 40 That's a, times return. It's a no-brainer for me as a co-host. It's uh, free money. As someone who has, up until this very moment, seriously resisted the urge to place uh, any uh, bet uh, outside of maybe a two-year period in the early 90s with a bookie uh, in DeKalb or whenever my feet were planted in the state of Nevada. Yeah. Uh, even though it's legal, I've resisted it. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I just placed uh, a bet. I bet um, they... They did a, what do they call them? I should know this. They did like an odds boost where they took Gonzaga as like uh, minus 3,800 to win their first round game against, I don't know, Cal Poly Tech, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> they boosted the odds to plus 100 and you can bet fifty. you can bet up to 50 bucks. You're basically, you're guaranteed to double your money unless it's the biggest <laughs> upset in March Madness history. So I'm just, I can't wait. I'm gonna get. It's gonna be a hundred bucks in my account in a couple of days, just for that. So. Use it. All right. So we're gonna spin the wheel. I'm ready to talk '80s Cubs. So let's let's hope we let's keep our fingers way. crossed. I, ho- I hope we can speak it into existence. I made a, into I made a Jerry Morales a... reference on the baseball pod either. and Steve Henderson. Well, it wouldn't be the first Jerry Morales reference if it happened tonight either. You oh, we're sure. gonna get one. Oh, oh we boy, got finally. All right. Jimmy Carter was president. The miracle on ice, 1980. So we'll talk about and how how uh, Mike Aruzioni is. Er, that means eruption, and I think it's also um, I think it's also Italian for Rizzo. And like Anthony Rizzo was the Mike Aruzioni of the 2016 Cubs. That's quite a connection. So Aruzioni, you're saying is is uh, supposedly Italian for eruption? For eruption, and I just assume it's also Italian for Rizzo because it kind of sounds like it. Actually, okay. actually, Ruzioni's nickname 
His hockey nickname was Rizzo. Yeah, Eruz. Okay, so I guess that was his actual was that, hockey was that, nickname. Was that something that Herb Brooks just sort of slurred after his 18th cocktail? No, one of my favorite, uh, and I know uh, our buddy Frank Nova hates the movie Miracle, which I don't understand because I love Miracle. I think it's great. It's a little bit of it's a great movie, but it's sentimental hogwash. It's just it's very time. it's sentimental. It's supposed to be sentimental. I think it's just really well done. Um, it is. The of course the most famous scene is Herb's speech. You know, you, if we played him ten times, we might win nine. You know, you're born to be hockey players. Every one of you, go on out there and take it, whatever. Um, I always like after that. So they're walking. The the entire team is trudging down the hallway to get to the ice, and there's all the telegrams from well wishers all over, including one of them who Herb reads out loud. It's some old lady says, "Beat those commie bastards," and. Uh, they get to we get ready to go on the ice, and Ruzioni, the captain, turns and stands at the front of the line, and he taps every player on the helmet as they go by, and says some form of you know go get them you know he uses their hockey nickname, and then of course he's left at the end, right? And this guy who I used to remember his name um, is like one of the he's the guy who helped put together the hockey team with Herb, not one of the coaches, one of the administrators. He yells Rizzo. And reaches over and smacks him on the helmet before he goes out on the ice. I always thought that was just a nice little touch, and that's how that's what always reminds me that that was his nickname. So there you go. You wow. Tune in for baseball, and you get a miracle on ice. <laughs> well, you get a movie about wrong. the miracle on ice podcast. Well, you're not wrong. Um, that did happen in 1980, right? Did I mean, of course. Um, Gas prices were the same as they are now. And... <laughs> so they say. But um, also, five other things happened in 1980 that um, pertain to the Cubs. And just, geez, and I'm going to say too, Andy. I know you've you 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 will ad- you admittedly um, have you will you've said this before. A little bit of a blind spot yeah. until maybe 82 or three. I'm yep. a year older I than you. I was a, I was basically an yeah. infant in 1980. Yeah. So <clears throat> let. Let me first of all sort of uh, prepare to, you know, strengthen my shoulders to, you, you know, yes, uh, to hold myself right to, to, to fact number one, uh, take the home run crown that Dave Kingman had held with 48 homers and be the Jerry Martin and, and do my best to lead the team with, I believe, 23 the following year. <laughs> that that's is fact, correct. Jerry that's Martin. fact. That's fact number one uh, for 1980. Number two, and I'm going to pull it up while we're on the broadcast. Uh, I was at a game in 1980 as an eight-year-old, and I'm, there's a story. I brought this up before in a Bears podcast because this is what we do, uh, a game in which Steve Howe tried to throw me a ball while I was wearing a Walter Payton jersey. But in the very same game in 1980, uh, I experienced, and I didn't realize this till 30 years later, but I witnessed my first ever lead-changing walk-off win by the Cubs, uh, which was the result of a Bill Russell. Russell throwing error. Oh, good. Well, we can dig that one up. I've got the physical score part scorecard that I happened to come across in my dad's house like five weeks ago, and I took a picture. And so, uh, if anyone wants to see it, they can. They can see how disinterested we grew uh, in keeping score after about the fourth or fifth inning. So, Bill Russell's game-ending gaffe uh, is not recorded in our, in our score card, but we will um, go over that. That's fact. That was fact number two. Number three. Uh, the Cubs went into the season with a new manager on by Labor Day. And, oh, folks, yeah. if you think about it, that's not common. 
where a first year manager can't even make it through his first year. So we can explore the Preston Gomez era and we will, um, I, I say with confidence, I'm going to go out on a limb and I could be wrong. So this is one of my five facts that can be challenged, but I'm going to say that uh, Jim Tracy made his debut as a Cub in 1980 and, uh, and he wore number 20 and his numbers retired, of course, as we all know, go number 23. Yep. Yeah, he did. He, he debuted on, uh, uh, Good. All right. And future. Uh, July twentieth, nineteen eighty, and the final game was September thirtieth, nineteen eighty-one. <laughs> and I've got a story. And I've got a story to say about that because I was also in the bleachers in attendance at that game. And I, there's a story that I'll relate. It's a very that one's a very pedestrian story. Uh, and the fa- and the fifth fact about nineteen eighty, it was um, the final season of defending Cy Young champion uh, Bruce Suter. Uh, who I know in, at some points in the past, this has been a point of contention for you, but I think we've talked about it before and we'll talk about it again tonight. Cause that's what we do, but what a uh, terrible trade it was, but it wasn't really, got- but it, because they sucked, it didn't matter. And Leon Duran was good and whatever, but well, we'll, mean, we'll, hash, we'll relitigate Ken it. Ken Reeves was the key to that trade. I think. Um, I know it's not a, we can't, I can't, I shouldn't go be right. And that'll come up. Well, even though it's more of an 81 fan, but that, those are my five facts. Uh, in summary though, the 1980 Cubs were, it was, it was really my first personal full season from opening day. I got into the Cubs late in 79 and couldn't wait for opening day. And it was a miserable damn season and it didn't deter me. Uh, from sticking with them through another miserable season after that. And, you know, all these ups and downs, uh, I was hooked on a horrible team, but, uh, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the fact Jack. So let's roll. What do you got? All right. So the first, uh, my, my first fact here is, um, it's timely. So former cub Scott service who manages the Seattle Mariners was complaining today about the rule that they've, uh, there's, did you know there's a roster limitation this year in baseball? Is it not 25 and before it will be, September it will 1st? be no 26. Remember they added the extra guy last two years ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. It shows you how much I can. They're you know, negotiating as to they'd like, they, they're going to start the season with extra guys because of the short spring training, probably start with like okay. 28, but at some point they're going to go back to when they're going to get back to 26. And at the 26 man roster, you are only going to be allowed to carry 13 pitchers and service okay. is pissed. And he's going on and on. He says, horrible, terrible decision, blah, 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 blah. And I immediately made fun of it. I'm like, if you can't get by with an eight-man bullpen, what the hell are you doing? But how right. about this fact? What, what so Scott Service wants more than 13 pitchers on his pitching staff all year long. How many mm-hmm. pitchers did the 1980 Cubs use all season? I'm going to go, I'm going to take the under, Andy, and just say 12. 12. Yes, they used 12 pitchers in an entire you hear that, draft Kings? Now they were terrible. <laughs> They won 68 games, <laughs> but they only used 12 guys. That's incredible. Should that, I name that, the 12? Oh, well, let's, let's go through. We got, we just okay. got started here. Yeah. All right. So uh, four guys started at least 34 games. Can it's I a different, guess? A different era. Who were the four yeah. guys who started? Uh, okay. They started 38, 34, 41. Was no, sorry, cool. starts. Because there were a couple of relief periods there. 38, okay. 34, 37, and 27. Okay. Yeah, one R- guy only, Russell, start, one guy only started 27 games. What the hell? Yeah, Rick Russell right. uh, was 11 and 13 four. in 38 starts. Uh, Lynn McLaughlin? Lynn McLaughlin. He's, he made um, 
He's not the twenty-seven. He made yeah. He made twelve relief appearances, so he made twenty-seven starts. He was 12, oh 12 good. Got, well, that uh, did Kruko make that many starts? Mike Kruko made thirty-four. He was ten okay. and fifteen. Oh uh, shit! Uh, is it Dennis Lamp? It is Dennis Lamp. Ten oh. fourteen with a five twenty ERA. They started him thirty-seven times, and he made four relief appearances just for the hell of it. Well, I should also add that it was Dennis Lamp's last season because when after the season concluded, he had been dealt for uh, Ken Kravek of the White Sox, who I think later came back to work for the Cubs as a scout. But Kravek seemed to have higher what you might call a 1980 peripherals. We thought at Cub fans that we had robbed uh, that we had robbed the Sox because for whatever reason, you know, maybe Harry was going nuts about Kravek on the South Side. There was something about Lamp. I don't know if it was like like the foggy glasses or the bushy mustache or. Like he never really like endeared, at least in our household, we never see got too endeared to him. Like we didn't really see what was so special. I was like, oh, Ken Kravak, we got Ken Kravak, and then Ken, Ken Kravak, I believe, at one and seven in nineteen eighty one, and Dennis Lamp almost threw a no hitter in his first season with the Sox, uh, one out in the ninth. Uh, he blew it, and then of course went on to have a, a very distinguished sort of a weird middle relief career uh, with the Blue Jays in the early eighties. In in an era, I should add, in which loads of former Cub pitchers, many of whom were probably on the 1980 uh, in the 1980 staff. If Bill Connell's there, that's another one of future yep. dominant uh, relievers that were like middling Cub pitchers. Willie Hernandez would also be one, right? Yeah. Uh, was, uh, did Jay Howell happen to pitch on the 1980 Cubs or is nope. that too early? Okay. Howell's, Howell's a no. Uh, there's somebody else in there. I think you could root around, but anyway. Well, like dirt. The guy named Dirt was in the bullpen. You know, yeah, but Tidrow himself was like this weird late 1970s version of a middleman for Suter, right? Did he actually he, – he didn't become much of a future closer. No, he start, uh, he finished 38 games, but probably losses. <laughs> well. Somebody's got to finish the losses. It was, it was Dick Tidrow. He'd have six saves. Did the 1980 Cubs have a – Mike froze. So while Mike is getting his uh, interwebs back, um, yeah, the Cubs actually had, oh, I, well, I don't want to spoil this. I'll spring it on him. There's another closer in the bullpen. We don't think he said. Um, but yeah, the so the, the four starters, Russell Kruko, Lamp, McGloth, McLaughlin. I can never say Lindsay. You have trouble with that one. Oh, there right, McLaughlin. All right, yeah, so th- they had... Uh, Two Hall of Famers in the bullpen and uh, two Cy Young Award winners in the bullpen. Two Hall of Famers. Well, one of those is the same guy, right? Well, he's not two. Yeah, right. One guy was a Cy Young Award winner and a Hall of Famer. Bruce Suter. Bruce Suter. And the and and, and the other bullpen um, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Is this a trick question? No. Or am I just? No, he's a. He might be the is, is he the Cubs all time leader in saves? I've lost track. Oh, Lee Arthur Smith Lee made Arthur his debut Smith. in yeah. twenty two years old, yeah. eighteen Holy games, shit. finished sixth. And then of course, uh, you know what? Of course, much- Guillermo Willie Hernandez was an American League MVP and Cy Young Award winner for the Tigers just four we, years later. Incredible! Just four years later. Oh my God, that is uh, kind of an incredible thing that I hadn't considered. Considering how well I'll just randomly recall some of those things, is that I hadn't really considered that Lee Smith was also a part of that team with Bill Coddle and yeah. Dennis Lamp and Wow Willie Hernandez. <laughs> 
think of the career. I mean, Hernandez didn't have a long career. He did have that incredibly, you know, white hot season of 84, but uh, you wonder how many career saves uh, were in that, um, in that book. Cause even I'm sure Dennis Lamp, you know, vultured about maybe 40 or 50 saves in his career. Willie had an interesting season. He was, um, he was one and nine with a 4.40 ERA. Uh, he finished 13 games. He gave up more hits than innings pitched. He only How struck, old was he? Only today, struck yeah. out 75. Let's see. Willie was 1980. And I feel was, like Willie had been been around for. He was 25. Time. It was his fourth okay. season. Jesus. So that means he was uh, 29 when he burst out of nowhere at the. Okay. Yeah, so in, yeah, eight, I mean, in 84, he was 9-3 and three with a 192 ERA. He pitched in almost half the Tigers' games, pitched in 80 games. He finished 68 of them. Both of those led the league. He had 32 saves. Um, struck out 112 and 140, in, 140 innings out of the bullpen as, a, as the closer. Good Lord. It's, cra- it's, a, it's a crazy thing when you think about it because he's not a Hall of Famer, but he won an MVP in a in the same year he didn't blow a he, he was uh he didn't blow a save till the end of the season if i if i recall correctly um and 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 he showed up in detroit the cubs didn't trade him to detroit they traded him to philadelphia late the previous season for dick ruthven who would oddly enough also be the cubs opening day starter in 84 mm. but um it's crazy to think about like hernandez um you know He's just floating around the 1980 Cubs and just this sort of, you know, this sort of undefined amorphous glob of shit. I mean, this is a 94 loss team or whatever it was. So with like all these arms. Yeah. Willie was drafted by the Phillies. The Cubs took him in the rule five draft in 1976 and then stole him from Dallas. And then Dallas traded him back (laughs) in 83 for Bill Johnson and Dick Ruthven. And yeah. then he got traded um, a year later in spring training with Dave Bergman to the Tigers for Glenn Wilson and one of the great names in Tiger history, Johnny Wackenfuss. That's a that's a Don Russ baseball card memory, if I ever saw one. Johnny Wackenfuss. He had three really good years with the Tigers and then was pretty much done. But his arm fell off. Okay. Sparky well, right. him every day. Right. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's really bizarre to, to kind of see that. I mean, how many. Uh, you could probably count on two hands the number of Cy Young and MVPs in the same year, I, I reckon. Maybe not two hands. Maybe a foot might have to be involved. But uh, and, and the, one of the guys that did it was an otherwise, like, uh, happened to be, like, in the midst of a three-year comet of a career that like began with just middling sort of work. And then, you know, like you said, his arm was blown out, but yeah, Willie Hernandez, 1980 cub. All right. It has happened. I better check the date on this because it might've happened 11 times now instead of 10. Nope. It's happened 10 times in baseball history that a pitcher has won the Cy Young and the MVP in the same season. 10 times, 10 times. Uh, Let's see how many we've got. So that was the, um, and I didn't realize that's the, that was the other side of the question was the other Cy Young was, was Guillermo Hernandez. Okay. Yes. It happened first in 1956 by a Dodger. 
Was it was it Don Newcomb? It was Don Newcomb, and then it happened in 1963 by a Dodger. Was it uh, the guy you would probably Kovac. expect? Yeah, Sandy Koufax. Yeah. I almost said Drysdale. What the fuck? Uh, then it happened in 1968 by a convicted felon. Oh, uh, Denny McLean, Lou Boudreaux's son-in-law. Yep. yep. It happened. Oh, how about this? It happened in both leagues in 1968. 1968. Oh, Gibby, yep. right? Bob Gibson. Wow, that's, a, that's off, a fun fact. Squared off in the World Series, and thankfully totally. the Tigers won. <laughs> Even with their tax cheating. 30, the last 30 game winner we should add to. Oh, here's a good one. I would not stuff. have known. I don't, I don't think I knew this. A Milwaukee Brewer did it in 1981. Oh, Pete Vukovic? No. What? Mike not Caldwell? Pete a guy who is not often Moose thought Hoss? of as a Brewer. He's more, more thought oh, of Don as Don Sutton? A, no, as an A. What the fuck? What are you talking about, Andy? What? You're going to torture me? You're going to tell, tell Raleigh us? Raleigh Fingers. In 81, he yeah. won both? He did. He was like, had to be in his like 30s, right? Because he was on the 72, 73, 74 A's. Holy shit. He was the first yeah, relief pitcher in American League history to win the MVP. Man, this is like reliever night, by the way. Which, you know, again, it, it fits because the 1980 Cubs. Well, the best part of this is that he, it says many argue that Rich Gossage should have um, who had a better ERA, more strikeouts per nine innings and a better whip should wow. have taken either the Cy Young, the MVP or both. And for the, Bruce for is the pe- prick. So I'm really right, glad that right, right, right. For instead. The, instead of, yeah, that jag bag gossage for the pennant winning Yankees in 81. So then it happened in 1984 in the American league by Guillermo Willie Hernandez. 1986 in the American league. Uh, Wait, Clemens? Yep, the Rocket. Really? I didn't. I I I didn't readily know that he had captured uh, uh, MVP. So there are. Let's see. This is going to be the second former Cub to do it. 1992 in the American League. 1992 American League MVP and Cy Young. Uh, was he it was Blue pretty. Jay? He was pretty ridiculous that year. It was an Oakland A. Uh, Dave Stewart, no, or Bob Welch, no, Dave Stewart, wait, no, actually, these are former Cubs, yes, yeah, another former, another, uh, yet again, another former Cub pitcher, later, slightly later era that became a dominant reliever. He had 51 saves, he led the league in whip, fewest walks per nine innings, and most strikeouts per nine innings. He so accurately was at his peak, what year was it? So he didn't give up, he didn't give up any hits, he didn't walk anybody, and he struck everybody out. That's pretty good. Eckersley actually got like statistically better after the Gibson home run. I think like he's like fuck. I can't believe I did that. I will never make that mistake again. I'm just gonna bear down more or something. Cause yeah, it happened in 2011 by a guy. These last two are guys who were still pitching. 2011 American League. I got nothing. He's married to a lie. supermodel. Oh Verlander, Justin Verlander. He won an MVP, did he, huh? He was 24-5 and five with a 2.4 ERA. Led the league in strikeouts, innings, and war. He edged okay. out off, impressive offensive numbers by Jose Bautista and Jacoby Ellsbury for MVP. And the last time it happened was in 2014 in the National League um, by a guy who I, know, I intellectually know is a great pitcher. And because of his postseason failings, including... Uh, my favorite 
National League Championship Series. Yes, game of I all got time. you. I got you. I always just find it. I I know he's. I know Clayton Kershaw is a great pitcher. I just never right. think of him that way because nope. he pissed away playoff games to the Cardinals. Yep, in multiple and, seasons. If I'm not and mistaken, and I can still I can still see his knees buckle when Rizzo hits the home yeah. run off of him in game. Seven. It was it, it was like somebody punctured the State Puff Marshmallow Man after the. He just, yeah. Um, it, and it was the, yeah, it was after Hendricks got through that first inning, it was, it was such a big game and it, it was, he was kind of the perfect opponent for the Cubs, I think, as it turns out. Well, and then he had, um, who was the little, they, the Dodgers had the left fielder who had been homeless. Andrew Toles. Uh, uh, Andrew Toles, who he flubbed one yeah, ball, well, I remember. Clanks off his glove. Yeah. And, <laughs> Clayton ended up in a in a fetal position on the mound. Yes, yes. I rewatched that probably last year, late in the season when the Cubs were terrible, and I just wasn't. And I needed sure. to watch. Something. I've watched. I've watched it in the past. I in my mind, I always thought it went. Um, I got to make double check, make sure it didn't. I always thought it went um, Kyle to Aroldis. Kyle to it, but did. it didn't. Did somebody finished the eighth. It wasn't a Roldis. I gotta look this. Is this, up an, sure. is this another Mandela effect? Like Mitch Williams did not walk the bases loaded in the ninth inning in 1989, which we've had to re, re-educate ourselves right. on. Yeah, I've I agreed with that. Now I'm wrong. It was a Roldis. For some reason, I thought yeah. Carl Junior. appeared, but he didn't. Not in that game. No. Yeah, it goes right from it goes right from Hendricks to the Roldis. The Roldis got the last five outs. Yes, he did. Dodgers it's got the Dodgers. What, two base runners in the entire game. Uh, correct. They, uh, uh, Roldis and Kyle faced the minimum. Uh, three base runners. Kyle picked one off. Kyle himself oh. got a double. Wait, wait. Did Roldis get two? I think Roldis got two double plays right because he came in. Kyle actually faced one over the minimum left with one out and a runner on. Roldis came in in the eighth, got the double play, and they got another one in the ninth. I think Kyle. I think they had four base yep. runners. I think Kyle got a double play and also uh, picked the guy off. I think yep. it was Tolles. Roldis got Howie Kendrick in a double play to end the eighth. And then, of course, famously, uh, Yasiel Puig grounded into a double play. And Carlos Ruiz did not walk. He he fucking struck out. That was bullshit. It was bad. Call. Oh, right. Right. No, no. Almost, yeah. So you're talking about when, when uh, Kyle got pulled, right? Mm. Kind of similar to that the... Was when a, it was in the ninth. Oh, in the ninth. My bad. All right. Should All have right. been one, two, three. And the other thing I remember about that is the as good a job. And it's a good, a good time to talk about Joe Buck since he's left Fox and will no longer be doing. I saw that. Will no longer be doing baseball of any kind. Baseball, right? Um, the end of the game caught him money. caught him by surprise because of the double play. Like he, they were kind he, of winding up and they were getting ready. They're yeah. doing the love. You know, it's five nothing. They can do the kind of you know beauty shots of Wrigley and the fans who are still shitting their pants, even though it's five nothing because right. we're Cub fans. Right. And, you're just waiting for something horrible to happen. Right. And all of a sudden there's a double play and it's over. And the Cubs have won the pennant. Well, we brought this up before that they also won their division in 2003 with a double, with unexpected double play. Yeah, one that uh, Alex uh, Gonzalez actually turned. No, no, but. We, oh, no, yeah, we, hey, well, we found right, that out too. He, he, had, he had been taken out. Alex yeah. had been taken out was, of that game. Or maybe he didn't even start it because it was the second game of the doubleheader. 
I think he's right. That's what it was because there's no way you would take him out. Well, um, got to put my guys in. Put Ramon well, in. Dusty was, in. Dusty was, well, you mentioned the Dodgers game and Dusty. I'm going to say, first of all, that Dodgers, uh, that, that pennant clincher you talked about, of course, is only the second most memorable Cubs-Dodgers game. The first, of course, involved Dusty Baker as a player. And uh, I, ref- I alluded to it. Uh, in my five fast facts to begin with. And I uh, would like to, I, I actually, and, and I, I had the pictures on my phone and I couldn't send it the price. So I actually texted you Andy, oh. the front, the front oh, and back right, of the, uh, yeah, right. No, no, no. Yeah. Right. And, and as you, uh, you know, as you search for that, I'll find the actual oh, date and I'll just tell you to preface, to preface it. Uh, we sat as a family in the bleachers um, as guests of my dad's older brother, my our Uncle Bud. Uncle Bud did not have children of his own um, and would uh, like periodically, sometimes once a year, you know, just sort of on and off, would uh, make a gesture like treat uh, my dad and uh, our, you know, his kids to the game. My mom was always invited, of course, but would always take full advantage of the opportunity to clear her house of all of the people that inhabited it and happily stay at home. And so typically when we went to Wrigley Field, it would be the five kids uh, and my dad. And of course, uh, even if it's uh, at the benevolence of somebody else, it tends to make more sense if you have that many kids and you're largely middle class that you're going to sit in the bleachers because it's a lot cheaper. So, yes, I was an eight year old. Uh, in the bleachers when we went out to uh, Wrigley Field. It wasn't my first Cubs game, and it's probably the first one that I remember with uh, any co- sort of clarity, but it would be Sunday, uh, May 25th, I believe, yes. So it, was, it wasn't as late in the summer as I had originally thought, but uh, we got to the game early, of course, because you're in the bleachers, and there's, you know, I'm eight, my sister's 11, my other sister's 13, my brother's 15. You know, I don't know. We may not have all been there, but I was there and I was wearing a Walter Payton jersey. And I taught, I, I brought this up when we did our Bears podcast. Uh, who knows why I'm wearing a Walter Payton jersey, but hey, it's 1980. We didn't all, we weren't always out because you thought appropriate. Gear. You, you knew that uh, 18 years later, Kerry Wood would strike out 20 guys and they would just want a bunch of people wearing random 34 jerseys standing, yep. holding up K's. In the bleachers. Remember that? The guy, was, was, there was people in like Barkley jerseys and other we, odd 34s. Do you remember that? <laughs> right. I guess I never really considered the jerseys. that. It was right, just strange. Right. Yeah. So you were ready. Well, I think you, that, were just, you were just uh, 18 yes. years soon. Yeah, I, I had a premonition. I was just a little bit. Uh, yeah, so who started? Because he didn't strike out. Well, I don't remember who started. It's in that scorecard that we pretty Russell. much stopped, stopped keeping score about halfway Rick through. Rick not Paul. Right. The handsome but before the Rick. But before the game even started, and just this is a retelling, by the way. If you're one of these people in the Venn diagram that listened to our Cubs bullshit and our Bears uh, re- uh, recollections, uh, I did, of course, only fitting. I brought this up in a Bears podcast because I believe the question, our very first Bears podcast, I would say, because I, I, I believe, because I think you asked uh, what the first jersey that we yep. owned was. And I, I think it was a Walter Payton. And I wore it to this Cubs game and I had a glove and I was standing on the bench in the third row or fourth row or fifth row trying to get a ball and and Steve Howe was pointing at me and he tried to throw it and it fell short and I didn't get the ball which is fine and of course it's 1980 no one's going to give it to me all right game's over I didn't expect it we move on with life and then the game happens 
Um, and it's early in the season. I think I'm looking now. I actually pulled it up just uh, just to fortify the facts. But the Cubs, the Dodgers, of course, were the Dodgers. Always been the Dodgers. They were the the, the, the Dodgers then. They were uh, one year uh, away from winning the World Series in 81. They were perennial contenders, of course. And the Cubs were also the Cubs heading into the game 16-19 and 19 record. Uh, and it was. An, I have no recollections of the game except for the ending. And so if you if you happen to find anything uh, in the baseball reference that you want to comb through, now is your time, Andy, before I'll bring my – I'll circle back to my recollection at the last play of the game. Uh, no, I have a comment about the – other than the fact that Rudy Law, the first, batter, White the first batter you ever saw in a big league ballpark was Rudy Law. Vance's well, I, again, Vance's it wasn't my Lewis. first game. It's only the first game I remember. Oh, well, the, the, the first batter you remember is Rudy Law. Sure, right. I still don't remember it, though. Uh, yeah, Burt Hooten started, uh, former Cub Burt Hooten started for, for the former Dodgers. Former Cub with threw a no-hitter, yeah, for the yeah, Cubs. Steve Howe blew the save. That's what he gets for, you know. Right, not throwing me the ball. Right, and, and Steve Howe would win the Rookie of the Year that year, by the way, but not the MVP in Cy Young. Yeah, so the uh, – <laughs> well, typical. I can explain it. I remember seeing remember the ninth inning? Well, I just remember the, the last play, so you can lead oh. us up. Well, the uh, former heavyweight champion of the world uh, led off with a grounder to third. The white Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. And then something that happened all the time, Tim Blackwell got a double. Had to and be a windblown pop-up. Preston, that, yeah. asleep at the wheel, didn't pinch run for him. So Lenny Randall's <laughs> single did not win the game. I forgot also Lenny Randall was on this team. So they had runners of first and third. Bill Buckner came up with a chance to win it. I'm sure the all under how many fans? Right, uh, uh, probably. Well, it was a Sunday in May. Twenty-seven thousand. So yeah, twenty-seven. So all twenty-seven thousand fans were chanting Billy Buck, and he flew out to left, but Lenny Randall advanced to second. So runners on second and third, and then you want to describe the final well, yeah, play? I was going to say I, I thought you were going to mention his name, but yeah, moment of silence for Larry Bittner, who two eyes, two T's. Recently. Two eyes, two T's, also pitched in a game. Hits a grounder to Bill Russell at short. And when that happened, I just remember from the fifth row uh, in the right field bleachers, seeing my dad stand up. Because, of course, you never, you know, get up before the game's over, even if you're getting your brains beat in, you know, unless there are extremely uh, extenuating circumstances. And I just remember he stood up. We're out of here. And Bill Russell proceeded to take the ground ball, hit off the bed of Larry Bittner, which would be the 27th out and another victory for the Dodgers, yep. and proceed to sail it over Steve Garvey's head, in which uh, apparently Lenny Randall uh, crossed home plate about a split second before Tim Blackwell. And uh, the Cubs suddenly turned a loss into a victory, and they would propel them to... God only knows what heights in the 1980 season. 68 wins. Yeah, so actually a key play was the Buckner flyout. Because if Lenny's on first instead of third, all it does is tie the game. Good point. Lenny Randall, good heads up base running. So now that that Lenny Randall has come up. I wonder who the left fielder was for the Dodgers. Somebody asleep at the wheel. While you look that up, I'm just going to quickly tell you that uh, Lenny Randall. This was Lenny Randall's one and only season. It's not? Oh, it was Dusty. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking. Way to go, Dusty. Like, 
Well, what would he have done though? Like throw out Lenny Randall at second? Well, yeah, see. yeah. Why not? Because Tim Blackwell's not going to crawl home from third, even yeah. if you throw the and, ball. And in nowadays, it would say whether it was deep or shallow. Yes. It doesn't say. So for all okay. we know, it was on the warning track, and Dusty okay. had no and, chance. And I like to think that it was. He just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude! Like, did the Ricky Henderson where he like threw it like almost un- snap throw underhand? Yes. Yes. Standing there telling every, all the fans, I invented the high five. Shut up. Yes. Oh. Nobody cares, yeah. Dusty. Yeah, not that day. But yeah. I forgot what I was going to say, but that's a valid. I'm glad you, you figured out. Well, I, I was going to. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. I knew Dusty's name would come up. It's come up a couple times already. but So I believe I have determined through process of elimination that my first game was an 81. So I can save that for the 81. It's a memorable. Yep. It's a Gotta memorable save it. Telling you. Another walk. Yeah. It was a, it was also a walk-off Cub win. Oh, okay. Hey, look forward to that. Um, and for all you listeners, we're just getting started here. I, you know, who knows? This might actually go sequential. How about, you know? how about this? Not only was it also a walk-off win, it was due to a fielding error by the opponent. Instead of Bill Russell, Phil Gardner. Excellent. So, that when we spin the eighty-one, you get the whole story about guys smoking dope in the stands and us leaving my mom at Woodfield and um, leaving yeah. the game early. It's all oh, there's all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> Sounds like an awfully similar experience uh, from my day in the bleachers. I guess what it shows is that era of Cubs. Unless the other team gave them the win, they didn't win. Certainly not in nineteen eighty. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, they drew, uh, does it have the, it doesn't have the Pythagorean theory. Oh, it does. Oh, how about this? Must. Oh, they were only won 64 games. They were 64 and 98. The Pythagorean, they should have won 68 games. That's why Preston got fired. Fuck yeah. I, I, I did want to uh, circle back because before you, you, you unearthed the awesome fact that Dusty Baker allowed Lenny Randall to uh, tag from first to second for the winning run. Which really, yeah, how did that happen? Um, I just want to say this was Lenny Randall's one and only season with the Cubs. I just know that from memory. Um, I was into the, like I've mentioned this before, 1979 is off our radar. So I'll just quickly uh, point out that I just somehow got hooked on the Cubs. Probably after I got hooked on the Bears and that Vince Evans Vikings game that we broke down where like they kind of got me going. But it was in September when I saw I was watching a Cubs game against the Pirates and the Pirates would end up winning the World Series. And they were badasses and there's big black gold uniforms and come into town with all their jewelry and just like with their swagger and the Cubs in 79 were actually managed by Herman Franks, a borderline 500 team. And, uh, and they just couldn't hold up. And I just remember sort of like, you know, really being, you know, into it. And, uh, even though the Cubs were pretty much on their way out and this, you know, rotund Herman Franks getting all upset at a call that broke the wrong way and kicking dirt on the umpire, uh, you know, this and that and the other thing. And, and that's, that was it. But that team, I always remember, was led off with Ivan Jesus, which he had apparently done since being acquired uh, in 1977, along with Bill Buckner for Rick Monday, the last uh, center fielder for the Cubs who had significant playing time in four consecutive seasons uh, in center field. Uh, but then all of a sudden in 1980, Lenny Randall was the leadoff hitter. I might be wrong. So I don't know if you're looking through box scores, but I feel like 
who's this Lenny Randall guy? And he, I guess, what was he mostly the third baseman? Uh, it was years later when I learned that Lenny Randall was the guy who famously in spring training uh, beat the shit out of Frank Lucchesi, who <laughs> years later would become a Cubs interim manager after Gene Stick Michael was yep. fired. Um, but otherwise, Lenny Randall, my first memory of him is a 1980 Cub who was there for exactly one season. Not a bad player, although if you look it up, I'm sure he had like a 313 on base percentage or something. Uh, he was also the guy, I should add, since this is the Lenny Randall minute, who you might see on oh, 80s bloopers videos uh, oh, yeah. as the third baseman for the Mariners, who was trying to blow a slow rolling ball foul as it uh, crept up the third baseline. So Lenny Randall and the 80 Cubs uh, hit 276, the 343 on base. He's only slugged 370. At a 343 on base, though. He was actually a good on base guy. OPS, especially for the eight, for 1980. Yeah, well, we'd have wa- you know, Joe Morgan. We'd have walked more if we knew that you were supposed to. It's like, well, Joe, you did. You walked a lot. That's the biggest right. frustration people had with Joe Morgan's analysis was he didn't value the things that he did well. Right, which would celebrate him. Yes, like you looked at his. If you if you listen to Joe Morgan talk about baseball, and then you looked at his stats, you'd be like, what? Exactly. Like, why does he not? Why does you know him and him and Dusty with the base clogging bullshit? Right. So Lenny Randall actually kind of a moneyballish player then. So how did the, how did the Cubs get? Lenny? Let's see what happened. To, how they get Lenny Randall? Uh, uh, uh. God, Larry Bittner was batting third that day. By the way, in that game I was at, where the fuck was uh, Buckner was the number two hitter? Jesus Christ, Mike Vale was batting cleanup. Man. All right, I just rattled off some names. We don't have to worry about them again. Mike Vale was name checked, uh, and then Jerry Martin was only batting fifth, even though he lead the Cubs in homer that year with half as many as Kingman had the year before. So this is weird, Lenny. Um, I don't know what this meant. Purchased? I guess you could just buy somebody's contract from another team. Um, he had been in 1979. He got traded uh, with a former Cub batting champion. Um. From the Giants, Former Cub. Bill, to, Bill Madlock to the Pirates. Yep, uh, the trade was Lenny Randall, Bill Madlock, and Dave Roberts to the not that Dave Roberts to the not, Pirates. No, right, early, white Dave Roberts, by the way, for Fred Braining, yeah. Al Holland, and Ed Whitson. Okay, who pitched um, against the Cubs in the '84 playoffs? And then he, during the season, he got purchased by the Yankees, and then the Yankees at the end of the season, uh, he let him leave as a free agent. He signed with the Mariners, but then the Cubs. He signed with the Mariners on March 20th. The Cubs purchased him from the Mariners on April Fool's Day. <laughs> they probably, he probably didn't believe it. Like, what? Um, so right before like, the opener. So you're like, well, he never played for the Mariners. Well, no, because he was granted free agency after the 80 season, and the Mariners signed him again. And this time, they didn't sell him. They let him play until June 28th when they released him, and it ended his career. So his what year blowing, was that? Uh, 82. Uh, okay. Oh, so he played for a year and a half for the Mariners. Okay. Um, okay, so bringing up Bill Russell reminded me of, of something. Um, and I wondered if maybe it was this. But looking at Bill's stats, there were a lot of opportunities. Uh, in one of Jay Johnstone's books. A temporary Insanity? Yeah, or the other one. Uh, I mean, you're the one guy who's read both of Jay oh, Johnstone's three. books. I'm sorry, I've only read one. Oh, there's three. I've read all three. <laughs> Got them right over there. I bought them. I bought them. I had them when I was kids. I couldn't find them, so I bought them on eBay. And I even managed I to find, make sure I bought. Told, I bought the blue one and the orange. Yeah, there's different. I bought the ones the exact style that I used to own. 
You talked about that. And that was the third one. I, I don't think I've actually read. It's his, it was the last one he wrote. He's dead. <laughs> um, of course. You know, so he was a practical joker. And actually, legitimately very uh, funny. Not a Ryan Dempster print, a real no, like an like actual, funny guy. And one of the right. things that Jay wrote, the, his, his secret to being a good practical joker was to set up the joke and not feel the need to be there for the payoff and give it away. He would do these things. Like he famously, uh, Sutcliffe was struggling with the Dodgers, and Jay went in and cut the crotch out of Sutcliffe's underwear. So after a game, Rick pulled his underwear up, and he pulled it like all the way up to his chin. <laughs> And Jay wasn't there. So Sutcliffe is sure it's Jay, and he's screaming at people in the locker room, and Jay's not there. So then he decides, well, it can't, couldn't have been Jay because he'd have been there. <laughs> Jay's like, I had long since driven home. I just heard about it. He goes, I, I'd like to hear the stories later about what, how people reacted. Um, well, one that he did stick around for was Bill Russell was having a bad bout in the field making errors, and I wondered if maybe this was one of those. DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook is officially live with mobile sports betting in Illinois, just in time to get in on all the college basketball mania. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any tournament team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. Go down to Wrigley, sign up in front of the marquee. Go down to the UC, sign up in front of the Jordan statue. Go find a college campus and sign up on the quad. As long as you're in Illinois... You could sign up and bet from anywhere right from the palm of your hand. Head to the DraftKings and Casino Screen Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and features, including same-game parlays. It's safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings and Casino Queen Sportsbook app now. Use promo code POINTLESS. Bet $5 on any college basketball team to win and get $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code POINTLESS this week at DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. 21 and older, Illinois only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 1-800-426-2537. And before, oh, a, before a home game... Tri- trace it back maybe yeah, it can't because i wait till i read bill russell's the... error totals um <laughs> is that why mariano duncan came along i think so um he sucked too so be, during batting during batting practice or in probably yes during infield jay took hazard tape and tape cordoned off the seats the box seats behind first base at dodger stadium hazard tape is the yellow police yeah like tape. caution tape yep and there were some fans there, and he handed out plastic hard hats and put up a sign that he had made that said, Holy Danger, or something like, Look out for stray throws from Bill Russell. And he set it up, and Bill's taking infield, and he looks over, and he, all the fans have yellow hard hats on, and there's a sign warning them that Bill's about to hit him in the head with a throw. Wow. So that was funny. But here's, uh, where did Bill Russell, here we go. So these, i got to find the air column. He played forever, so it's... It, it goes off the page here. Um, starting in 1976. 28. Starting in 76. Was that his first year? No, he'd been around since uh, 69. 72, he played 121 games. He made, oh, I should have started there. He made 34 errors. 73, he made 31 errors. 74, he made 39. 
Wow. Uh, 75, he only made 11, but he only played 83. Well, maybe maybe, maybe Andy scorekeepers were a little more stringent. Um, 28, 29, 31, 30. 80 was a good year for him. In 129 games, he only know, made 19. And, you know, it's occurred to me that we're covering an era in which we've touched upon it before that has been astonishing, uh, astonishingly, like, awful for short shortstops on offense. Sure, so like, in other terrible. words, so if you're not bringing anything in Bill Russell, not excluded, he was not some anomaly, right. That they're going to put up with. So, um, I'm it's, it's, well, it's, uh, was Mark Belanger making 30 years a year? Was Johnny LaMaster making 30 years a year? Was I'm there, sure, uh, I'm sure Ozzy wasn't, he was, a, he would have been a Padre at the time, right? Or maybe not even yet. Yeah. He would have been a Padre. He was a Padre until like 81 or 82. Um, that's why I don't remember who it was, but we had somebody who just was incredulous. Couldn't understand why I liked Sean Dunstan so much when I was a kid. Like, I look at Sean's numbers. He sucked. Yeah, but relative to the era, he didn't. Like, yeah, he didn't get on base. and He struck out a bunch, but he put up actual, like, numbers that most shortstops didn't. Like, he actually right. had home runs, and he stole bases, and he drove in runs. Right. And... Well, Cal Ripken was really the sort of mold breaker there, right? Right, but there were so few shortstops that were worth a shit on offense. Just, I mean, right. Well, that's my point, though. Like, you, then you assume they're just like freaking ridiculously rangy. Yeah, and they love men. I mean, like, it's, none it's of like, them were. So not like, even just Bill Russell. Well, I don't know. Like uh, Morgan was always playing in the Dave Concepcion was in the Hall of Fame. Oh, there's not a Morgan's fucking gonna... planet in the solar system that he's a Hall of Fame shortstop. Of course not. He couldn't no, no, hit, no, right. and he was just an average fielder. Right. Remember, he right. was the guy who supposedly who perfected the. His arm was so weak that he would bounce the ball to first on the and turf the because he couldn't throw turf. it all the way to first base. So he learned where to give Tony Perez a nice hop, and he would like bounce it right before the dirt cut out, so it would bounce up, you know, like waist high to Perez because he couldn't throw to first. Well, you don't get to go to the Hall of Fame if you can't throw the ball from shortstop to first base. I'm sorry. Correct. So, um, yeah, there's some great names on the 80s Cubs. Of course, we talked about Tim Blackwell. Yep, Han- the handlebar a, handsome, mu- a handsome guy there. Oof. With the handlebar mustache. Look him up, kids. It's easy to spell. He was the backup. Actually, in 1980 would be Barry Foote's probable career year. Um, best season, I'm sure. No, scratch uh, that. That was 79. That was yeah. 79. Yeah, Never Barry mind. Was, uh, and then Blackwell, he was gone. Blackwell, had the, Blackwell played 103 games. That was the most. Yeah. Uh, for a yeah. catcher that year, I'm 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 clearly conflating 79 and 80. 79 had some good memories. 1980 really had very few. Other so, catchers yeah. included the great Mike O'Berry and Bill I Hayes. I remember him. Don't remember him. Do not remember Bill Hayes, but I do remember Mike O'Berry. Mike O'Berry may have been, and you know, I could be wrong, but he may have been in one of the tops three prospect cards, like 1981 or you know, 1982. One of those. How many times did Bill Buckner strike out in 145 games? 600, I, 615 plate appearances. In I can make an educate. I can make an educated guess because on a previous podcast we talked about how uh, ridiculously low Bill Buckner's rate was in his career. Of course, his walk rate, uh, rate was low also, yes. but in 600 some at bats, he I want to say uh, uh, 25. He struck out 18 times. <laughs> 18 struck, we love out, Billy struck out three times a month 
And he walked 30 times. We love Billy Buck. He walked five times a month. Yeah, might as well mention now that around 1980, because, well, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Screw that story. I just remembered Billy Buck was the National League batting champion in 1980. 324 average, my friends. There's another fun fact for you, a little after the fact. But, yeah, first Cub batting batting champion in only, like, four years because Madlock had done it back-to-back seasons. But then the Cubs would not have a batting champ until, I want to say, Derek Lee. Did Derek Lee win a batting champion for the Cubs, or am I just getting hazy? All right. I think he would have been the first. He would have been the first since Buckner, unless I've forgotten somebody else. And then Frank Schwindel won it this year. Right. This podcast is not taking place in 2023, but if it were – uh, Frank Schwindel's name would be mentioned. Yeah, we would look back on it. As, batting as, right. Yeah. First baseman, batting champs. Um, but so Buckner, that was his... 1980 was his 11th season in the big leagues. And he had never been an all-star. And he would not be an all-star until the next season, 1981. I'm sure because he had won... Um, right. Won the batting title in 80, and he gets to be an the all-star pre- The previous year, right. It's he almost finished, like... He finished top 10 in MVP voting in 81 and 82. Finished 14th and 80. Kind of an odd time to start reaching your peak, it would seem. Buckner was always a good hitter. He was actually, he played in the 74 World Series as a left fielder for the Dodgers because apparently they thought Steve Garvey was a better first baseman. Well, Buck was was fast. Correct. You're right. He screwed up his feet. He was like Mickey Mantle. Right. He was was fast. So it would have made him. Garvey was a complete non-athlete. So. You can see why they had. Bucked. Well, I wouldn't say Garvey was a complete non-athlete because I do believe Steve Garvey played football at Michigan State. Maybe well, Michigan State. No, never mind. No, he only played baseball there. And who the hell played baseball in college besides you know Carl back then? Besides Carl Yastrzemski at Notre Dame and Steve Garvey at Michigan State, it was not a thing. So, fuck you, Steve Garvey. It's just he's so squatty and stiff looking, and right. bad hair. Yeah, Yeah. Bill Bill Buckner had a fucking mustache that you could, you know, set your watch to. So, yeah, uh, Mike Tyson got the most games played at second base. Uh, So can I? Yeah, why? So far, we've actually mentioned three cases of this, and I can't remember what the third one was, but but we wrote it down. So far, we've mentioned Mike Tyson and Dave Roberts, in which there is a a white and black Mike Tyson and a white and Dave. Uh, Black Dave Roberts. There's a third guy you mentioned that I forgot who it was that also has that dichotomy. So that's all I, I can add about Mike Tyson. Uh, that Dave Roberts you mentioned, I have a baseball card with him. No, good. Yeah, exciting stuff. Shortstop was Avon De Jesus, who uh, would get traded for somebody. I don't remember who. Yeah. Stole 44 bases for the 1980. And then, of course, you always have to ask this question. It's not it's so bad. 80s. How many times did he get caught? 16. Oh, not, not, not bad terrible. at all. However, Lenny Randall, Lenny stole 19 bases. He got he got caught 13 times. That's not good. <laughs> That's more like it. That's more like 1980s baseball. Yeah, but between Tyson and DeJesus, the Cubs middle infield had OPS pluses of 65 and 78. That's not good. It was heady, heady times. Uh, Dave Kingman played 81 games in left field. Malcontent. So he comes. So Kingman, of course, is coming out, and this is like Kingman was part of the allure for me. I mentioned the rotund Herman Franks in late '79 when they're playing competitive games against the the, the Pirates, but of course Kingman, Dave Kingman, uh, 
kind of a local area guy. He grew up in Oregon, but then emigrated to Illinois and graduated from Prospect High School as a first-round pick in 68, and then couldn't field uh, third base to save his life and just couldn't stop striking out and back when strikeouts were unforgivable. And then somehow, you know, ended up after being with like seven different teams and is still in his twenties, he shows up in 79 and uh, for his kind of hometown team and he bashes 48 home runs. And that's when I got hooked. So I couldn't fucking wait for 1980 to start because Dave Kingman, bro. And then Dave Kingman, this is probably the season in which a few things had probably happened. They might be searchable on the internet, but one would be that Dave Kingman on Dave Kingman day, which I'm pretty sure would have occurred in 1980, uh, was not in attendance at Wrigley Field, <laughs> but out on a boat on Lake Michigan. Might've been the same season in which he mailed a dead rat to a reporter. To a reporter. No, not, yeah. not nice the guy. greatest guy, you know? And then, yeah, and he was, it was, kind of astonishing as an eight-year-old to like like see this guy that you kind of got a glimpse of the year before uh bash all these homers you know going totally being in this weird 1979 version of a home run contest with mike schmidt and like you know being this heroic offensive player and then just being this dickhead that everybody hated so a a mutual friend of uh, mine and dave kaplan former niu basketball coach john mcdougall ah yes i remember john mcdougall um was a great guy. He coached junior high basketball, I guess, in Mount Prospect when he was young. And he had Dave Kingman was on his junior high basketball team. Because Kingman, of course, also tall as fuck for baseball yep. or basketball. And um, I was talking to a coach, and they, he, he brought it up. And I said, oh, I said, was he... Was he a prick as a in junior high? And he goes, he absolutely was. He goes, he was a he was a royal pain in the ass. That's what that's what as a high school was. athlete as a junior just... high athlete. He said Dave Kingman was a pain in the ass. So so is he did just not have entirely... fond memories of Dave Kingman even as a what it was like a twelve right. year old thirteen. So yeah, so even as a teenager, right? And somehow he's he's some he's in his old age maybe because he's desperate for money somehow gone through some sort of a rehabilitation in the last 20 he's been at a cubs convention uh which would have been unthinkable you know a long time ago all right so this we're going way out now so um there's a show on nbc called it's not an old 80s uh spring break movie uh it's called making it and i remember making it is that tom cruise no sorry i was losing it making it is hosted by amy poehler and nick offerman and what it is, is they bring makers, you know, people who make crafts and other stuff. And yep. it's a reality show where they compete. They, whoever makes the best design, they vote people off one at a time. And on the most, it's a, it's a, it's a good show. They make cool stuff. And Amy and Nick are funny. And, um, and Nick, of course, is a, like a very accomplished woodworker. So he, correct. Really I've heard it. that. Yeah. It's not also just a from, He's also from character. the Chicago suburbs. Yeah, uh, Manuka, south, way south suburb. Yep. Um, he's a Cub fan, and oh. on the very on the lat, the most recent season, there was a there was a guy on there in his twenties who was making stuff, and Amy says, "They give you, I think they only give you first names," and Amy says, "Oh, your dad is a famous baseball player," and Nick clearly didn't know who the kid who the guy was going to say his dad was. And he goes, yeah. He goes, my dad is Dave Kingman. And Nick is like, oh my god, 
he goes, King Kong. He was my favorite player as a kid. He's going on and on and on. And then in, in perfect fashion, he's, you know, they're like, he's like, well, he said, you know, dad and I don't have the greatest relationship. <laughs> wow. And, um, but at the end, I don't want to spoil it for people. The kid ends up winning. Like he's the guy who wins the whole competition. And Dave and so Dave and his, the kid, Dave is still married to this guy's mom. And they were there. And so he got to see Dave Kingman, modern day Dave Kingman. And, you know, telling him, oh, how proud he was of his son and whatever, which was nice. But I'm sure it was just for TV. But uh, I saw it was funny because, and they said Dave Kingman, I immediately rolled my head. And then when the kid's like, well, you know, Dad and I, we have kind of a complicated relationship. And I was like, of course you do. Right. Dad's a fucking asshole. Dad's an asshole. Right. And it's probably not made been, you know, any less uh, subtle with all of the money he's made in his career. By the way, uh, one last note on Dave Kingman. It kills me, and it's still there. But if you just Wikipedia... Dave Kingman, the stock photo they use. I, I mean, you should do it while we're here. Um, it's it probably defines his defensive prowess. Just if you could, one snapshot. <laughs> yeah, he looks like quite the athlete. Is he? What is he? But he was an athlete. He's just a. He didn't. I, I, well, he had maybe he was. Was he an athlete or not? He was a tall guy. He played basketball. He, he was athletic at some level. You know, we know you don't have to be an athlete to play baseball, but he did play, you know, prep basketball. That picture, but he could not play left field. He was a terrible fucking outfit, especially by 1979, <laughs> 1980. But it's almost like a it's almost like a Bigfoot sighting, this Wikipedia photo yeah, of a, Dave Kingman. The 6'6 Kingman was a power hitter who twice led the National League in home runs. Known for his long home runs, Kingman hit one measured at over 530 feet. Oh, he struck Ken out Ragnar. frequently and posted a low batting average and low on-base percentage. Yes, His 1,816 strikeouts was the fourth highest total in MLB history at the time of his retirement. But he's probably not even top 10 anymore. 21st. Just like Just like Jim Brown is he's like... Down to 21st. I think Jose up. Hernandez caught him in one season. Yes, yes. You know, Kingman did have a second act, though, even though he, you know, after his career high point of 48 homers or whatever for the Cubs the year before, he did find himself where he should have probably been all along in the American League as a DH for the A's. And he actually was uh, kind of a, a part of the, a link to the Jose Canseco era because uh, when Canseco came up, I believe Kingman was still in Oakland. Yeah, because Kingman played, played for the A's till 86. Yeah, into the bashed, season. It, well, and he basically bashed himself into the argument. It wasn't much of an argument because nobody bought it. But he was at one point, and this is probably not true anymore. But he was the only player with 400 home runs who uh, was not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall of Fame. And there was a time when most 300 home run hitters were Hall of Famers. So, yeah. Uh, so the aforementioned Jerry Martin played center field. And Mike Vale is the guy they listed as the right. Yeah, player. I mentioned he, Mike Vale was betting cleanup in that Dodgers game I was at. Well, of course, Russell he had six homers and 47 RBIs with oh, a no. what, what 423 slug, which was uh, like the fourth best on the team, I think. That's well, I, I'm not going to suggest, of course, that Mike Vale was betting cleanup every day. I'm sure the game I was at was an anomaly, you know. Um, That's quite a group. I can see how, I don't know how they won 64 games. Um, yeah, Larry Bittner hit 249 with a 294 on base. Steve Dillard. Oh, another in. favorite Cub. I, you know, this might be Steve Dillard's first mention, and I got to tell you, I mean, we've done, uh, we've already indicated coming into this 15 podcast. I don't know if Steve Dillard's name has come up 
three times, if at all. And I have to say for you know, being a weird fan, and maybe I brought it up in this context, but for a brief period of time, uh, Steve Dillard and his probable 244 career uh, on base percentage was, was like kind of like my favorite, kind of like even as a nine-year-old, my favorite hipster cub player. Like, I, everybody loved Buckner. We all like him. You try to glam on to guys. And I'm like, yeah, Steve Dillard. <laughs> he's got a mustache. You can yeah. really, you know, take a slide on. I mean, like, just like, he's like a funny looking guy. I think he's had a kid that uh, also made it to the big leagues uh, recently, but uh, since we, since you brought him up, it did not happen in 1980. And I heard this on the radio with Vince Lloyd, and Lou Boudreau, but Steve Dillard was once picked off a of first base without sliding into first base. <laughs> yes. And Vince Lloyd had to point that out. So. Oops. Yeah. I wasn't sure if Steve, I knew Jim, I, I thought Jim, Tra- I was going to go with Steve Dillard in my five facts when I went with Jim Tracy making his debut. Now I, I can um, tell you that the, the next guy on here, is a guy that I, as a kid, assumed there was a typo on his baseball card. Who'd I remember asking my dad, like, look, they spelled this guy's name wrong. And dad's like, no, that's how he spells it. And that would be Scott with one T, Thompson. Yes. Yeah. Even as a young child, I was like, no, that's not right. There's two T's in Scott. The uh, opening day, uh, which I'm not even looking at, but it might have been against the Expos. I'll look at it now because I think Woody Fryman, former Cub, played uh it, I don't think it was, but the opening day center fielder 19. And again, I'm saying this like it's the truth, but it could be wrong. I believe was Carlos Lascano. Okay. And uh, I know that that really upset my dad because he was a big Scott Thompson fan. And even though Scott Thompson probably played more games like in the corner infield than center field that, you know, that, that he thought that Scott Thompson should have been the center fielder. And, uh, and of course, it turned out to be uh, Jerry Martin, who led the Cubs in homers, again, with 23, which was half as many as the previous season. I'll, I'll tell uh, you, you know, you've had a quality big league career, and that is when you spend the first uh, six years of your career on the same team, and yet you have three different numbers. Scott Thompson, Scott Thompson, 25, 29, and 18, which means you got sent down. Somebody better got your number, and when you came back, they just gave you a different one. That's it. Yeah, I was wrong about – I was totally wrong about Woody Fryman in opening day in 1980, but uh, I will say that uh, Carlos Lascano was the opening day center fielder in Shea Stadium in uh, 1980, and, of course, Jerry Martin came in. So, I don't know. You know, my dad uh, at that point, he had five kids and had yet to send the first one to college, which we all did. You know, he may have been drinking a little bit because maybe Scott Thompson was not really in the contention for center field because uh, Martin came into the, the game. Uh, I think Lascano was our hope because do you remember Carlos Lascano had a brother, much more successful brother? He had six toes. Uh, that's right. Six yeah, toe Lascano. Six was Lascano. Yeah, because the Brewers had some weird run in the late 70s where all of a sudden they were not awful, and Sixto was kind of part of it. All right, here's a, here's a guy I don't it, understand. It, Carlos. I don't understand why he was on the team, and they traded for him during the season. So Bill oh, Buckner, Cliff, Bill Buckner Cliff played Johnson? A, yeah, Bill Buckner played 145 games at first base. Why would you trade for Cliff Johnson, who was enormous and could only play first base? 
Because Cliff Johnson uh, broke Goose Gossage's thumb when both were members of the Yankees. Does that make you happy? It Andy? does. No, what I happened? just I feel bad for Cliff. You get traded to a team that has the you can only play one position, and the guy you uh, the team you get traded to, their first baseman is winning the batting title. Right. Well, you know what, Cliff Johnson. Real, I don't know how he appears in baseball. Reference. My memory of Cliff Johnson was a when the Cubs traded for him, we learned oh, he must be a badass because he broke Goose Gossage's thumb. All right, that's the first thing I think of. That's why I brought it up. The other one was that Goose. Uh, it was that Cliff Johnson. I want to say may have hit two grand slams after his arrival in 1980. Um, and, and they may have also both been pinch hit grand slams. But the third fact I want to mention, especially in light of, um, you know, the seeming affront to Bill Buckner that you bring up, Andy, is that I have no recollection of uh, Cliff Johnson playing first. I swear, though, I remember him bumbling around in the outfield and making some ridiculous catch against the Ivy where he fell over and his hat fell off in which there was absolutely positively no way that it would have held up under replay review today. Like I remember like watching the replay with Jack Brickhouse and you could just clearly see the ball like right in front of him as he, you know, picked it up. So this is, so Cliff played 68 games at first base for the Cubs. He did, huh? Okay. Uh, Bill Buckner played 54 games in the outfield. In, this in is, 1980? Yeah, and this, I'm sure that was graceful. Um, oh, so I Cliff, can't help you with that. Cliff played three games, and he played 14 innings in the outfield. It's so ridiculous because Cliff Johnson was already this? kind of a DH. Oh, he, was, he was already the kind of a DH kind of a guy, though. Like what? And Bill Buckner was a borderline go Glover. It doesn't make any sense. Cliff caught an inning in 1980. I remember that he was a back. He was an <laughs> emergency catcher. <laughs> yes, that was that was a fact. I do remember. He could not that. wait to get out of there. He hit two thirty five. He hit ten homers in just one hundred ninety six at bats. Yeah, yeah kind of loved him. Yeah, he drove in thirty. He drove in thirty four runs in uh, sixty eight games. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Figueroa hit played. his only career homer in nineteen eighty. Yeah, one homer, eleven RBIs. And, and there's no way you can corroborate this, but it fell into the right field basket. So his only career homer, barely. Loved Jesus Figueroa, and he was also, I believe, traded for the opening day second baseman in 1981, Joe Strain, S-T-R-A-I-N, who was fucking awful. So we talked about uh, we talked about Barry Foote. We talked about Jim Tracy, unless you have more Jim Tracy stories. I do, because I was at his debut. So I don't know the game. You can find it there. But and this, is, this is a quick story, not nearly as engaging as Bill Russell um, turning a, a win into a loss. Only that we were in the bleachers again. Don't remember the circumstances. Don't know if Uncle Bud was involved, but we had a scorecard and they had to announce that there is a player, like a mystery player, on the Cubs, but he's not in your scorecard. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And he started that day, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you can pull it up. Uh, Jim Tracy's debut. I can just tell you I was there because I, I guarantee you I was there because it was so fresh that he was not even in those scorecards that I've referenced and that I've already provided you a, uh, of a screenshot of at the Bill Russell game. Um, also, Cubs Dodgers. No, I'm sorry. No, I got confused. Jim Tracy was a future Dodgers manager, but I don't know who they were playing when the Cubs when he made his debut. But nevertheless. Jim Tracy in the starting lineup, not in your program. That's all I got. 
Um, do you remember Ken Henderson? I do. Well, he was, he was a white sock in the seventies, a, a white guy. And they got rid of Ken Henderson, then brought in Steve Henderson, I think in the, uh, in some, in the Kingman trader, maybe or something. And he, and Steve Henderson was a black guy. Ken Henderson didn't do much for the Cubs in 1980. I'm he made confident. his, he made his big league debut in 1965. Playing, wow, uh, playing for the San Francisco Giants, who was among his teammates that day were two of the Alou brothers, Maddie and Jesus, Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. Wow. And he was still playing in 1980 when he was not playing with Willie Mays or Willie McCovey on the 80 Cubs. So he actually had a pretty good career if he played that long. Uh, let's see. We had a long, yeah, he played 16 seasons. Um, he was a, he was a White Sox, right? Or is, am I over my skis? Yes, from seventy three to seventy five. Yeah, he had Same a pretty good career. Him. He had two fifty seven, three forty three, three ninety six. He had one hundred six uh, OPS plus. I'm, assu- I'm assuming like half this roster, this was Ken Henderson's last stop in the major leagues, or did he? Yeah, actually... this was it. These were his final forty four yeah. games. I think he's not the only playing, one playing out the string for the Cubs. And judging from his picture, I can tell he was not Steve Henderson's brother. Just wanted to, I was. I, just, I only bring that up because I was a kid. I'm trying to process this. I'm eight years old. We got Ken Henderson. Now we got Steve Henderson. Oh, that's a different guy. Of course, he looks different. So, yeah, just just trying to keep my years straight. That's so, all. A guy who had a hell of a year in 1980 for the Cubs was uh, one of Frank's favorites, Mick Kelleher. Yes, yes, we've we've talked some serious Mick Kelleher in 105 in games for the 1980 Cubs. Mick Kelleher. Posted an OPS plus. Now remember, 100 is league average. Mick Kelleher played more than 100 games for the Cubs. He posted an OPS plus of nine. <laughs> 146, 217. He slugged 177. <laughs> now I don't know. Was he like a pinch runner? He must have been a defensive replacement. He only batted. 96 times in 105 games. More games played than at bats. But folks, bad. In case you in case you missed Very our 19 17 total bases playing a full season in the big leagues. In case you listen, in case you missed our 1977 uh, special edition podcast with Frank Nova, the 1977 Cubs. And if you listen uh, on Spotify, just search 1977 Cubs and you will find more hilarious yeah. tales of McKellar, including a brawl with future teammate Dave Kingman occurred when Kingman was with the Mets. So to compare the nine that uh, Mick put up, Mike Kruko, OPS plus 53. (laughs) Now, Rick Russell, who we remember as a surprisingly good athlete. Correct. uh, Did not have a good year at the plate in 1980. Uh, He had 159. He had no homers, five RBIs. Struck out 23 times. And he had an OPS plus of five. Um, oh, Mick beat him. But remember, he was not being paid to hit. Like, suppose, I guess Mick wasn't either. Well, neither was Mike Kruko. Uh, yeah, Kruko, uh, 246, 269, 292. I had no recollection of Kruko being a good uh, A good homer hit, and six hit, RBIs. Hit, hit, hit. He, only he, struck out, he only struck out 12 times in 34 Wow. Wow. You know? Okay. He had as many career homers as his uh, broadcast partner then. Oh, he's got more. He might have more. Right. He only had, That's only 1980 that he homered. Oh. Let's look wow. him up quick. Yeah. yeah. Crook. That's true. He might have twice as many homers as his uh, position playing uh, no, broadcast part. Five times as many. Five homers, 54 RBIs. 
Uh, I'm sure this brought up been brought up on the Giants in podcast, 1979 right? for the Cubs. Uh, he hit 314. He had an wow. OPS plus a 93 many... uh, in 51 at bats. He had a homer, eight RBIs, only struck out eight times. He didn't strike out. He struck out 194 times Holy in shit. 819 plate appearances. I mean, for a pitcher, oh. someone yeah. well, we'll never get to see it anymore. It's all. It's all. I always. I never knew Kruko was such a good hitting pitcher. Holy cow. Wow. He's one of my, I mean, I obviously, I barely remember him as a player. Um, although he did play in the, he did pitch in the first game I ever, in fact, um, they, he was in line for the win and the Cubs blew his save. The game in that my, you've already in my te- debut. Yeah. The one that you've teased us with, which yes. we'll get to. Uh, but I, the reason I like Mike so much is, um, and we talked about it before, so we don't need to belabor the point. He is one of my all-time favorite uh, sports announcers. Correct. Well, I, I, I was wondering as we're going through this, that must have been discussed on the broadcast between him and Kuiper that Kruko is a pitcher has five oh, times. Oh, I would many. guess it, they've sure been that, working together for 30 years. I'll bet it's come up yeah. a thousand times. Oh, fuck yeah. 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 Anytime. Awesome. I can tell you that anytime Steve Stone's name comes up, the two of them have a, have a nice chuckle because it would have okay. been a former teammate of Kruko's, right? Didn't he pitch? Did he ever play for the White Sox? No, the Giants. Uh, well, with the Giants. Uh, they would have been teammates. Mate. No, but no. Kruko no, Kruko came up with the Cubs. He, he was a giant in the eighties. Oh, that's yes. right. They almost won not the even Cy that. Young. Not even that. They were almost different eras. Right, so actually. not teammates. So Stoney St- St- Stone only figures into the Kuiper part of it, but yeah. still, right. But anytime Steve comes yeah. up, and because he's an active announcer, it, he does yes. come up, and uh, they Kruk tees up Kuiper, and Kuiper talks well, about the the five hundred home run, five hundred foot home run he hit off of. Uh, Steve Stone, which actually was like right. 308 feet to scrape the Probably top of the wall. Fact, clear the fence. Kuiper has joked that he never got to do a home run trot because he's like, I didn't know what one felt like. I hit the ball, I started running. And just to uh, tie a bow on Mike Kruger's career at the Cubs, um, he was like a pretty good pitcher on a shitty team. And then uh, he was part of Dallas Green's overhaul. One of the guys that we got, I believe Keith Moreland might have been, we got him in return for Kruko. I might be mixing up my Cubs Philly straights. But then he resurfaced with, with the Giants and he threw a complete game. I think earlier on a podcast, we talked about this and I said he threw a shutout like Ray Burris did in 81, but he didn't. I looked it up. It was a complete game. He did allow a run, but it was kind of cool. I remember watching that that one. I think it was against the Cardinals too. It would have been 87. Kruko uh, went the distance. uh in a playoff game, but you know, not that memorable because the Cubs are so terrible. Not like I don't remember him badly. He was a pretty good pitcher on a shitty team, so you didn't really know. He, uh, it's funny. He he was eighth round pick of the Cubs out of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Jesus. Well, who who was the other guy that you, that was? That no, you I was just making tonight? fun of. Like I just started going Cal <laughs> oh. Poly, whatever, whatever. Um. He got traded on December 8th, 1981 with Cash, not Norm Cash or Dave Cash, just Cash, to the Phillies for Dan Larson, Keith Moreland, and the great Dickie Knowles. Yes. And he was traded from the Phillies a year later uh, to the uh, to the Giants with um, C.L. Penniger, whoever that is, and Mark Davis. Is this future Ooh. Cy Young Award winner? Yes, the 1989 for the Padres. Yep. Mm-hmm. For um, Al Holland and future Hall of Famer Joe Morgan. Wow. 
I'm sorry. I'm more. I'm more amazed the fact that I believe that was Al Holland's second reference in this very podcast, yeah, and Joe Morgan's like kids. sixth. Well, of course, but Joe Morgan's going to come up. But see, kids, you start tuning in. We're going to do a lot of eighties. You're going to hear more Al Holland's in case you just can't get enough. Yeah, Mike Kruko in '86 with the Giants, twenty and nine. He won twenty games. A three point oh five ERA. Only gave up two hundred four hits, two hundred forty five innings. Damn. He uh, was an all-star, and he was third in Cy Young voting. Jesus sure Christ. How did, I, how did I want it, right? No, Mike, no, Mike Scott, Fernando Valenzuela, yeah. and Mike Kruko. I would have thought I would. I would. I would have thought I would have remembered uh, such a season from from uh, Mike Kruko. Jesus Christ! I have no recollection of that awesomeness. Good for him. I always liked Kruko. He only had what a monster! What a monster season! I had no idea. Yeah, just to show what how baseball was different. He had one, two, three, four. He had five seasons where he won ten or more games. Only two of those were winning seasons. Wow, you you're right. That's you, what you get when you pitch for the Cubs and then the early right. 80s Giants. Yeah. By 86, they were okay. Obviously, they would. Well, uh, right. And then, like I said, in 87, yeah, 87, he was doing they all, were, all he could have taken to the pen. He went, he went yeah. the distance in a playoff game. So, uh, Let's see. We're almost out of guys here. Um, oh, too bad. Steve Ontiveros. Oh, Brought it up once before, but my cousin Tom uh, had uh, gone up to Montreal around probably 1980 to watch the Cubs with his wife. And uh, they were on the artificial turf. And Steve Onaveris, of course, the third baseman that the Cubs settled on after Bill Madlock. Yeah. Um, used to, you might associate him with having a huge chew in his mouth. Uh, and on the artificial turf, Tom would say that all, all the way from the upper deck, you could see a huge brown spot just to the left of like the third base uh, dirt area. And then, of course, I can uh, be remiss for all the local the local guys, the Chicago guys uh, that uh, from the 70s and 80s, if I didn't mention uh, Steve Onaveris' marketing contribution to uh, Hairline Creations, I believe, <laughs> or Paul Finnamore, I perhaps I would. Uh, could remember. It was always like in the local TV guy. You got the newspaper with Steve Onaveris, very proudly wearing plugs 30 years before, you know, Brian Urlacher, Ryan Sandberg. Is Ian Happ on that too, or am I seeing him on Billboard for something else? Am I am I is he selling weed? I can't keep it straight. No, I think he's a restore guy. I think. He I is. honestly okay. I don't I don't know the thanks to the panic. I don't know the last time I've been to the airport. Because that's where you see I, all you the know, time. He's got to drive I, by O'Hare. I, I got cataracts, so and I drive, so hey, sorry, but like I don't I can't quite pick it out, but it looks like Ian Happ to me. So all right. I think it is. I think he is doing one. Okay. So yeah, Steve Onaveris Another was the restore. The, the Cubs won't trade him now. He's one of the right, right. Oh, I know the corporate partners love it. Basically, yeah, Steve Onaveris is the Ian Happ of 1980. It, it adds up. It's apples to apples, people. Uh, do you remember Steve Mako? Uh, of course I do, because Steve Mako was a very sort of an Irish tragedy. He's not Irish, but it's just you know I'm just accentuating it. Steve Mako had come up uh, and then got taken out on a double play by Bill Madlock in a game in either late 1979 or 1980, and and Madlock's hard slide apparently gave Steve Mako cancer, from which he died about two years later. I'm, I'm using gave, a little bit of hyperbole. Gave him cancer. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, he did, there, it was pointed out that there was a hard slide that young Steve Mako absorbed and somehow mysteriously shortly afterwards. I'm joking, of course. I love Bill Madlock. He actually follows me, and I only have like 480 followers on Twitter. Bill Madlock is awesome. I'm not denigrating. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying it's, you know, Bill Mad. In fact, I'm I'm celebrating Bill Madlock because he slid so hard. But Steve Mako was a little bit hurt. Didn't matter. Uh, but not, you know, later on the next year, he would, you know, he would come up and down. There was a baseball card with Steve, with Steve Mako on it, but he was, he was not like a, it's projected to be a huge prospect. So it's just more of a sad story that he was, a you know, a, a guy that got a cup of coffee, played a little bit, and then he did, he caught cancer and he was, you know, probably died at like 24, 25. It was, it was a very somber thing. I remember as a kid. Yeah. 27. Uh, poor Steve Mako. Played his final game. In on what date here? Was it eighty? Did August sixth, nineteen eighty, and he was yeah. he died on November fifteenth, nineteen eighty one. Wow! Yeah, and then yeah. So yes, I remember Steve Mack. He was a f- he was pounds. a fifth round draft pick of the Cubs in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, I remember like reacclimating myself with the Steve Macko story on the internet like ten years. Somebody read published a, something from a local paper. Here's a good tidbit about the draft that honestly didn't change until maybe twenty years ago. If you weren't a first round draft pick, you didn't know what round you got picked in. <laughs> They per- okay. they purposely did that to to try to blunt the leverage guys would have because they're you know you could be a second round pick and they could just act like you were like the 18th round pick. Who uh, who ran the draft? Monty Hall. It was done on a. They used to draft on a conference call that only the teams were on, and they also until recent years the draft Jesus ended God. when every team stopped picking. So, like, that's how, like, Mike Piazza went in the 61st round. The Dodgers just kept picking players. And they might have been the only team picking by, like, the 54th round. And they would be like, do you have, does, do you, once like you, you, could, st- like, once you stopped, one, once you passed yeah. in a round, you were done. But so you, one team could, like, get, like, seven picks in a row just by, yeah. and and we're not you done, might we're be not the done. only team left picking. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, there was all kinds of weird shit. Now, there was a, uh, there was a dickhead at Northern who got drafted. Uh, he dated my girlfriend before I did. Um, <laughs> got drafted by the Brewers and didn't know what round he'd been drafted in. And then obviously, then at some point after most of the guys have signed, they put the list out. And he was like the he was a left-handed pitcher, so he's going to get picked by somebody, even though he wasn't very good. It was like the 48th round he got picked. Because she's like, oh, okay, Jesse got drafted. I'm like, oh, that's great. By who? The <laughs> French Foreign Legion? The Brewers. Oh. Well, same shit. Yeah. I, think he, I think he pitched um he pitched like in rookie ball one year and then he was gone. Best best thing I remember about him was his roommate got super drunk one night and came into the room and got confused and thought he was in the bathroom and pissed all over Jesse's closet. Well, one of the things in Jesse's closet was his baseball uniform, and he had a game the next day and didn't know that his roommate had done that and, gra- and grabbed his stuff and threw it in the bag and and then realized that he was probably going to need a different uniform. He, uh, he should count his blessings and be happy that Najee Davenport right. put that stuff in the hamper. Make his way Najee, you got to poop in into it. his uniform. Um, let's see. 
I'm just glad that Cliff Johnson came up tonight because I would not have remembered that. And the, the, it, the memories came flooding back. When well, we didn't talk about that. all the pitchers because you, you uh, kind of crapped out and I was going over the uh, We list. started with the relievers and the in, inordinate amount of historic relievers that the yes. 1980 Cubs had. So um, we talked about uh, we talked about Bruce Souter just a little bit. Oh, you want yeah. to talk about the? Did you want to talk about the trade? Is this? No, he's there right, one more I, year, right? He's there in '81. No, this is his last season. Okay, so real quick, first of all, Bruce Souter oh, right. in '77 broke onto the scene with this crazy ass split fingered fastball, and nobody could touch it. And this is evidenced by the following fact: that in four consecutive uh, All Star games, the first three of which he was a member of the Cubs, so 1978. 1979, 1980, and then, of course, 1981 is a Cardinal. Bruce Souter got a win, a win, and then a save and a save in the All-Star game. The fucking American League with all your Robin Younts and your George Bretts and your – they could not – they could not – they could not even come – it was amazing. And, like, we're Cub fans. And in 1980, he was – he got a – you could look it up at the All-Star game. He got a win or a save. It would have been – would have been a save because I think it went win-win, save-save. In four consecutive All-Star games, Bruce Cedar got a win-win, save-save. And, folks, it wasn't a bullshit vulture win where he blew a save. It was an All-Star game where he came in in a tie game, I'm pretty sure. There's no way fucking Bruce Cedar. Bruce Cedar's All-Star numbers were probably ridiculous. And it just accentuates how unique it was that he was um, – you know, he just had this pitch that hadn't really been seen before. People couldn't adjust to it right away. And, of course, he's toiling for the 64 and 98 Cubs. And, you know, it, but he was the best. He, and he was like the, you know, we mentioned Raleigh Fingers, right, is one of the 10 ever MVP and All-Stars. And Fingers really was, he was the first Hall of Fame closer. You know, closers are a thing that have only existed really practically in the last 60 years. Fingers was legit. Sparky Lyle won a a Cy Young in 76. Gossage was known. I mean, there were, closers were, uh, uh, you know, there. But Suter really sort of took the saves to the next level. He would, of course, this is still originally in the two and three inning, in the days of the two and three inning save. Uh, it was just, it was incredible. And, and so he's another one along with like Kingman and Russell, these guys that when you're eight, nine years old and you're watching him, Suter was absolutely up there. Yeah. So he pitched, he pitched five years for the Cubs, four years for the Cardinals and two and three years for the Braves. And he was, his best run was with the Cubs. Um, he had a two thirty nine ERA. He had 133 saves. Um, 133 down. saves between like what 1976 and 1980? When... 76 and 80. Yep. He led the uh, National League in saves one, two, three, five out of six seasons, uh, two of those with the Cubs and three of those with the Cardinals. His final season with the Cardinals uh, was 84, when he's most famous for uh, giving up two home runs to Ryan Sandberg in a game. It's probably. Well, no, seventy-seven might have been his best season. One thirty-four ERA, thirty-one. Statistically, but he won the Cy. But he won the Cy Young in seventy-nine for a for yes. just under five hundred team. Yeah. And 30, he, you know, it, he had thirty-seven saves for a team that won what eighty games. Pretty much, yep. Yeah, so like you brought up in the past, like what a dumb trade it was. 
and like there's some validity to it, but like what were they gonna do with that hood ornament? They had Lee Smith on the staff and they got Leon Durham. Like, well, what why the- do you trade him to the Cardinals? Here's the, well, okay, that's what bothers you. The yes. other thing is, yes. I, I have to mention this. I only remember this because my dad would point it out. I remember this as a kid. Bruce Souter fucking took the Cubs arbitration after I think after '79. As was his his uh, collectively fucking, bargained right. F- absolutely, and I think he actually did it after '79, going into '80. So the Cubs, uh, and of course, let's bring up the fact. Of course, this is the last or second to last season of of a seventy-year run. Still of, salty, saltwell. Well, no, but it's Wrigley, but but it's Wrigley ownership, and it's not even PK Wrigley. It's the son who had even less interest in the team than his father, and both parents had died. And he's like, you know, he's incentivized to sell the team anyway. And holy fuck, he's got a he's got to pay this all star, you know, like like more money because Suter won arbitration. Arbitration was kind of a new thing, so it was like. So they bristled it. You know, Suter justifiably earned a big ass raise in 1980, and that also led to his departure. But again, it's not—it's not a what if. You know, it's—it it doesn't matter because the Cubs are in such fucking disarray. Because partially because the Wrigley family was at the absolute end of an already four-decade run of disinterested management, and so. Well, the guy who really got screwed uh, was Ted Turner. Because in 84, he Suter, did get screwed. 154 the- ERA, he led the league and saves 45, 63 games finished. This and is in, in, 80, in, in 85, he had 40, no, oh, right. 84. Yep. And then he goes, the he goes into free agency, market. signs a big deal yep. with the Braves, which he's still being paid for. That's one Today, of those weird annuity things. He's still getting paid. Bobby Bonilla. Wow. Wow. Well, I remember at the and time, he, it was like the biggest contract. So, it. It, the contract, the terms of the contract were, it was six years, this is funny, six years, $10 million, which at the time was like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> and he only pitched in three of those years for the Braves, and in one of those years, he only pitched, uh, how many times? I was surprised to hear you mentioned three years. I thought it was like... He pitched in, He really pitched... I'm sorry. Luke. He's trying to correct you. Well, I made parts of three Parts of three years? It's all right. It's more of a... Uh, he pitched in, in 85, he pitched 58 games. 86, he only pitched in 16. Missed all of 87. Came back in 88 because he felt guilty about taking Mr. Turner's money. Right. Pitched 38 more and he was done. 38 and 88? Jesus, that's admirable because he obviously, his arm was probably hanging by, like, you know, shoestring and bubble gum. 14 saves. Yeah, so his ERA, ERA with the Cubs was 239. His ERA with the Cardinals was 272. His ERA with Atlanta was 455. Oh, man. Still made the Hall of Fame. And he was only 32 when he signed with the um, – well, but we've talked about it before when we talked about the uh, only other season in this decade that we covered, 89, and Roger Craig and the San Francisco Giants. And Craig sort of like uh, made, you know, made an assembly line out of you know the split-figure fastball, which is what Bruce Souter was most famous for when he broke onto the scene. And all of those pitchers on the Giants blew their arms out, yep. right? That's yeah, it broke, it broke two things. It broke sharply downward and it broke your elbow. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and you know, if it wasn't had he not made the Hall of Fame, I you'd almost suggest that Bruce Suter's yeoman effort for not just the 1980 Cubs, but several t- Cubs teams of that era would have been in vain because Jesus, they sucked, and he was saving games still. Left. Yeah, and the right. only um, the only guy on those on those Roger Craig uh, teams, I think that didn't throw it was Russell, right? I mean, I'd like to start. Yeah, because he was a reclamation project. Yeah, fuck to it, begin I'm, not, with. I'm not throwing that thing. Screw that. <laughs> right. I've already, I've already seen video of my elbow getting cut into. Yeah. Uh, so you talked about a little bit about uh, Preston Gomez. Uh, he started the season as the Cubs manager, and he did he not did. finish it. And yeah, Joey Malfatano, by the way, when Herman Franks like blew up at the last week of the previous season. They brought a good old reliable third base coach, Joey O'Malfitano, to finish out the season. They, they, they told Joey after the season, no, you go back, and then now uh, we got this guy, but you can stay, and you can be our third base coach again. And then they bring in Preston, and we were very, you know, maybe not excited, but. What's dinging? Um, oh, that's me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going oh, that to Phoenix was mine. tomorrow. I was, look, I was yeah, looking no, to see yeah. if I was. Um. So Preston managed the Padres, the Astros, and the Cubs. He got fired in season by all three teams. And the best was in 1972, because you figure, oh, I mean, he got fired his first season with the Cubs, and he'd only managed uh, 90 games. Like, well, that's not, you can give him a fair shake. The 1972 Padres, he got fired after 11 games. And he was replaced by Don Zimmer. Who knew that Don Zimmer? I didn't know Don Zimmer even managed the Padres. Let's see. Preston got, um, let's see when the Astros fired him. That was 1975, and he got replaced by Bill Verdon. But, uh, yikes. Uh, so I think that's about all we've got, all we can do with the 1980 Cubs. So, uh, like I said, I, um, I only have a cursory memory of that. I certainly remember individual players from the '80 Cubs, uh, but I don't remember that season at all. And now that we've relived it, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I don't remember it. So anyway, it was nice to finally dip into the '90 into the '80s. Um, we got a lot more of those left, and at some point we will tackle the the mother of them all, the 1984 Cubs. Uh, but until then, uh, we will see you guys later the next time we remember some crap. So thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Mike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Many of us have herpes. 